We'll throw a little curveball in at you here today. Uh, we were going backwards a little bit into our, our Lenten sermon series, which was Jesus' last words and lasting presence. You might remember the Gospel of John. We wanted to take some time because last time I was here, we did John 20, and today we're going to wrap up with John 21 so we can uh, go through the entire Gospel together in this last year. And I want to begin with a question that Travis so nicely um, brought into play here for us. Have you ever wanted to have a do-over? Have you ever felt the need sometime to turn the clock back and just try it one more time and maybe do it a little better this time? Have you ever wanted to try it again so that um, you could erase the public memory of what just happened by your words or by your actions? Sometimes uh, the do-over is short-lived. It's kind of like we feel badly for a moment, but then a couple days later we move on and we forget about it. But there are other times when what we do and what we say is so life-changing that it changes the way we view of ourselves. And it might even change the trajectory of our lives. Now, John 21 is an interesting chapter. It's kind of like an epilogue, kind of like a Marvel movie post-credits scene, if you will. You know, <laughs> So like, it ends in chapter 20 with these words. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The end. Fade to black. Roll credits. You know, it's like it's perfectly done. Well done, you know. And then as you're standing up from your seat and turning your cell phone back on, you suddenly look and the credits are disappeared and you're back to a scene. Because there are some things that the gospel didn't quite answer yet. And when John was writing this gospel, there were some questions that people had. And I think he was trying to answer some of those questions. And one of those questions had to do with the apostle Peter. We're going to focus on him today. And I thought the best way to do this would simply be to follow the pattern we've been doing the last couple of months, right? Just immersing ourselves in the word of God, just allowing his word to wash over us and speak to us. So I'm just going to be looking at this, the verses 1 through 20 in particular, and just having that speak to us. But before we get there, I think it's helpful if we remind ourselves of a couple of things that Peter already knew, things that were already deeply embedded in him. To begin, there were a couple of elements that were part of Peter's original call to being Jesus' disciple. You might remember what they are in Luke chapter 5. Peter was cleaning and repairing his nets. Why was he doing that? Remember what he was doing? He had just finished doing something. What did he finish doing? Come on, rhetor not rhetorical. He was fishing, right. And was, it, was he fishing all day? Was it the end of the day? Or was he fishing all night? He had been fishing all night long. He had caught nothing. He was repairing and cleaning the nets. Jesus came in, large crowd, put him in Peter's boat, push him out a little bit, Jesus finishes his teaching, and he tells Peter, go and, set, go and put your nets out in the deep water, and you'll find some fish. Peter says, well, Lord, we've been out there all night, and we've caught nothing, but if you say so, we'll go do it. He sets his, his, his nets down, and he catches such a huge amount of fish that the boats begin to sink. And somewhere in the midst of that moment, he comes up with a self-revelation, something new about himself, that, that he comes very honest before Jesus, and he falls before Jesus and says, Lord, depart from me. I am a sinful man. Let's keep that in our heads for a little bit. Jesus then calls him to follow. 
So secondly, of all the things, though the less than perfect things that Peter did with his life, you know, like, like cutting off Malchus's ear or not able to sustain walking on water, having Jesus call him Satan and saying, get thee behind me, you know, of all the less than perfect things that Peter did in his life, what do you suppose was the thing he regretted more than anything else? What do you think? The denial. I think it was the denial. I mean, that's the only thing it mentions that Peter went out and wept bitterly after that. I think the event changed the way he viewed himself, and I think the event held the risk of changing the trajectory of his life. And one final detail to add to this, it's something that we don't necessarily catch all the time, but, but we know that, that, that aromas can trigger memories, right? So for me, like uh, when I first cut the lawn in my home on Pathway Lane years ago, I, I'm just cutting the lawn, don't even think about it. There was one section of the lawn that had some ground ivy in it, didn't even know it existed. Ran my blade over that thing, and it exploded in the most beautiful aroma that just had me stop. I had to turn the engine off and just stand there for a minute because it took me back to when I was seven years old playing in my grandparents' backyard under their big maple tree because this ivy was all throughout their backyard. And I just stood there, and I was a little boy again. It was that powerful, because the smells are powerful, and when they are connected with a visual cue, oh my goodness, they can dominate our thinking for a season. Now, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, in the early morning hours, when there was a chill in the air, Peter went and gathered with Jesus' accusers to warm himself around their charcoal fire. And then when the rooster crowed, Jesus looked right at Peter. Peter looked right at Jesus. They made eye contact, and Peter went out to weep bitterly. My guess is when we smell charcoal, we think of a cookout. My guess is Peter had a different reference in mind. Okay, with these three things in mind, let's just read the text together. I'm going to make comment along the way as we go. Uh, it'll be on the screen behind me, so you can read it there. Or it's on your lap. Um, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. John 21.1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Now, we don't know why it was that Peter wanted to go fishing. But did you notice the definite article in front of the boat? They didn't get into a boat. They got into the boat. Whose boat was it? I mean, was Peter feeling so badly about his performance as a disciple that he was being tempted to go back to the thing that he thought he could do well? Was this Peter's familiar boat? His familiar gear? They fished all night and caught nothing. So the sun was beginning to rise. The stars in the eastern sky were beginning to disappear. There was enough light to make out the shoreline, but not enough light for clarity as to what was there. Verse 4. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, 
throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat. You'll get some. Now, that wasn't too unusual because oftentimes somebody on the shore had a different view of the lake. They could see activity of a school of fish, perhaps, that the fishermen couldn't see. And so oftentimes you'd get people from the shoreline calling in to say, try it over there, friends. I think you can find it there. And so we read that they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And the disciple Jesus loved, that's John, of course, the author of our gospel, the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed for shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. It was early morning. There was a chill in the air. Peter, wet and cold, made his way to the familiar warmth and smell of a charcoal fire. And I'm quite certain that as he made his way toward that fire where Jesus was sitting, his eyes met his Lord's eyes. They got to see each other again. The sight, the smell, the moment, the chill, it was all so painfully familiar. Now, right there, we see that Jesus was being a gracious host who had prepared a meal for his disciples. And we all remember how back in that day and age, sharing a meal together was the deepest form of communion, of connection that one could have. And so by his very action, Jesus was reassuring his disciples that he wanted to continue his relationship with them. Nothing was broken. Nothing was changed. But I think for Peter... All of these circumstances were pointing to his one major failure, and he had that in his mind. Verse 10. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now, come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish, this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Now, when we add this particular story to the other gospel accounts, the other three gospel accounts, we can count up and say, this is likely the seventh post-resurrection experience, at least the seventh one that's recorded for us. But John says this is the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples as a group. And he's doing it for a very specific reason. This is a private encounter that he has crafted for them. And this is where it gets really interesting. Notice at this point the use of Peter's formal name. Whenever anybody uses our formal name, it gets our attention, doesn't it? It's like when the pastor uses our formal name as we're standing in front to say our vows as we're getting married. It's the judge using our formal name as he or she is pounding the gavel to give a, to give a judgment. When our parents, he would use our formal name as children, and we knew it got our attention. And I think that Jesus is trying to get Peter's attention here. Verse 15, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I always think of Jesus' hand sweeping towards something when he said, more than these. What was he referring to? Peter had just gone fishing, back to his old ways. Was Jesus' hands sweeping toward the boat, the pile of fish, the nets, and the gear? 
Simon, son of John, do you love me more than your old vocation? Do you love me more than the comfort and security that something that familiar brings? Yeah, maybe. But remember, it wasn't that long ago that uh, Peter was the one who boldly proclaimed that everybody else in this room, in the upper room, everyone else in this room might, might deny you and, and run away from you, but I never will. That's just another way of saying I love you more than these guys do. Simon, son of John, you love me more than these men do? We don't know the point of reference Jesus had in mind, but Peter knew. Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. And feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked this question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Jesus asked three times, one for each of the betrayals, each of the denials. That's not coincidental. And I think there may also be something here in the words John chooses that we can only um, translate as love. For the first two times that Jesus says, do you love me? He says, do you agape me? Do you love me with the highest form of love? Are you willing to sacrifice for me even at a deep cost to you? And every time Peter replies, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I love you like a friend. You can count on me as a brother. I think it's interesting, gone now were Peter's grand statements of his devotion to Jesus. Something happened in those denials that broke him and caused him to see himself and have a realistic assessment of his love for Christ and who he is. J.B. Phillips translates this section this way, and I, I'm not sure if he gets it exactly right, but I think it helps us see some of the nuance that's going on in here. I'm not going to put it on the screen, just listen. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these others? Yes, Lord, he replied, you know that I'm your friend. Then feed my lambs, returned Jesus. Then he said for the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, returned Peter, you know that I'm your friend. Then care for my sheep, replied Jesus. Then for the third time, Jesus spoke to him and said, Simon, son of John, are you my friend? That's the one time Jesus used phileo. Are you my friend? Peter was deeply hurt because Jesus' third question to him was, are you my friend? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I'm your friend. Then feed my sheep, Jesus said to him. I think there's a lot of connection here with the first time Jesus called Peter to follow him. All that was going on there, Jesus is recommissioning Peter. And just like that first time, Peter was bringing himself in full honesty to Jesus. I'm not the best one in the bunch, Lord. I'm a sinful man. But you have my heart, at least as much of my heart as I understand. I love you, but I don't have anything to parade in my favor before you. You know that I'm your friend, because you know all things. You know what's going on inside of me. You know that I am your friend. You see, when Jesus is invited in, and when we are honest with him, he uses our failures to break us so that he might remake us 
into his image. And there is such a power in this little exchange that's going on right now. It's just so beautiful. I want you to see this. Because Jesus accepts Peter as he is and where he is. Whether or not the love is perfect and complete or faulty and growing, the call is the same. Feed my sheep. I still love you. I still believe that you can accomplish great things. I still believe that you're helpful and faithful and effective for me. Feed my lambs. And now from here, of course, as we look at the rest of the chapter, Peter goes on to, um, well, Jesus goes on to say to Peter that you're going to glorify God and you will die for your faith because of your allegiance to me one day. And then Peter asks Jesus, yeah, but what about John? And, and Jesus says, don't worry about somebody else, all right? You are to focus on how you follow me. Don't follow with regard to how others are doing it. So Jesus said to Peter, as for you, follow me. Don't worry about what's going on. As for you, follow me. In many and various ways, we all fail our Lord. John 21 gives us the assurance that our God is the do-over God. He's the God of second, third, and 50th chances. He does not hold on to a grudge or respond to us based on some kind of mistake we made 20 years ago. When we come to him in honesty and ask for forgiveness, the forgiveness is complete. And if he's not holding on to that failure, we don't need to either. Because when we bring our failures and our regrets to Jesus, he uses them to form us into his people of greater humility and deeper faithfulness. But that journey always includes some level of pain. Scripture says that Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? I don't know why the hurt, I don't know what the source of the hurt was, but I do know that anytime a dislocated joint is popped back into place again, it hurts. That's part of the healing process. That's part of what's necessary in order for that joint to find strength and healing and be effective again. So don't be afraid of the pain of that moment. God uses it to heal us and strengthen us. Hey, let me take a chance. Let me take a risk here a little bit today. Climb into your imagination with me. We're going to do a little thought experiment. All right? You can close your eyes if you want to. If your kids are with you and they're rambunctious, keep your eye open a little bit maybe, you know. <laughs> Look out the window if you want to. That's cool too. But in whatever way it's helpful for you, climb into your imagination. And I want you to be thinking about a perfect day. It's a perfect afternoon. Whatever is fits right for what perfect means for you. And you are sitting out in a field with Jesus. And he brought a picnic lunch that is just the perfect picnic lunch for you. And you guys are having this great meal together, a marvelous conversation. It's delightful and warm and wonderful. You look and around you in this field are all the things that you hold to be dear and precious to you. In this field is every one of your family members those that you remember that have gone before you, those that are young and are coming behind you, the ones that you care about so much, they're all in this field. In this field is your vocation, the thing that you have given your life to. In this field are all your possessions, things you've worked so hard to accumulate over the decades, the things that are precious. In this field is also your health and your recreational activities 
These are the things that bring life to your life. These are good things. These are God's gift. It's traveling or it's sports or it's something else or it's golfing. These are all good stuff. In this field is your status that you work so hard to attain as a reputation for your life. In this field is your authority, the ability to get things done, and your ability to control your environment, to control your investments, to control your life, to control your time, to control your day, to control your health. And for some people, this field also contains success. Because you're very afraid of failure and you don't want that to happen. You're holding on to the success. And for some people, it contains failure. Because you're so afraid of success that you choose to hide in the shadows and not take the risk. This field is filled with the things you hold on to and don't want to surrender. Now imagine as you're having this marvelous conversation, there comes a lull in the conversation, as every healthy conversation has, a lull. And you look up and Jesus is smiling at you with a very gentle and loving look on his face. As you hear him use your formal name and you watch him stretch his hand out, he says, do you love me more than these? Can you see what he's pointing at? Do you see what he's referring to? Knowing that he fully accepts you and loves you as you are, go ahead. Let him know your answer, but be honest with yourself first, and then be honest with him, because he knows you fully. You don't have to pretend to be somebody you're not with him. He knows you. And that might mean that your best answer right now is, I don't know, but I hope so. It's okay. Whatever your answer, just take a moment and whisper it to him. And as you do, be aware of the emotions you're feeling right now. Because those emotions are signposts that point to the thing that Jesus wants to transform or Jesus wants to strengthen in your life. Skepticism, shame, guilt, anger. He wants to take those and transform them so that more and more he can, he can strengthen joy, acceptance, Forgiveness, love. Be aware of the emotions you're feeling. As you speak to him, take a moment to listen, because if you do, I think that you will hear him reaffirm his love for you and his trust in you that you can feed his sheep. And that's what he's going to say to you. Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Some of those sheep, they're not in the flock yet. So share the gospel. With whomever you're with, tell them the good news of Jesus. Some of those sheep are badly malnourished for whatever reason, some kind of thing that happened earlier in their life, something that they're doing in their life, a distraction that's in them. They're malnourished and they need you to come alongside of them. Those sheep are in your family. Those dear lambs, they are in your neighborhood. They are in this congregation. They are in the network of relationships that you already have. Those lambs are in the next generation, the one that's coming behind us, the one that desperately needs you and me to come alongside and help them navigate these choppy waters of adolescence. Feed my lambs. 
be it little or great, take the love and the faith that you do have and feed his sheep. Don't worry about what, what the Lord's going to do in and through somebody else. As for you, follow me, he says. Don't worry about the different distractions, the vocational things, this and this. Your call is to feed his sheep. To follow him with who you are and what you have today. Because you are fully restored. And he will do the rest through you. Would you please pray with me? Lord Jesus, I'm struck by how chapter 20 concludes with that call to believe no matter who we are, we can find life in Christ. Chapter 21 concludes with a call to follow. No matter how badly or how often we've screwed up, you love us and you want to be with us and you trust us to represent you in this world. <laughs> that just blows my mind, Lord. Lord, would you give us a clearer picture of who you are? Would you give us a humble and accurate assessment about who we are? Would you give us the faith we need to follow you with what we have? You are our only hope in life and in death. You are our only confidence. We know that you will never leave us or forsake us. And so we turn to you and cling to you alone. In Christ's name, amen.